So hey everybody, welcome to episode 137. I'm Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So we have one follow-up item here. First one is uh, this post out of PC Magazine about a patent that Apple has applied for where it basically shows like a MacBook, you know, the small, thin MacBook with uh, where the trackpad would be is an iPhone inserted. So it's like we've talked about before where we, we had that, uh, we were talking about a Windows phone where you could have a keyboard and a mouse and a, and a, and a monitor and you just plug your phone in and it be, presto changeo becomes a PC, right? This idea is same idea, except in, in this case, the phone is actually the brains. And we've talked about this before and that, you know, if the A7s and A9s and A10s or whatever the chips are, have enough uh, horsepower to drive, you know, a proper computer computing type experience, right? And also, I also talked about the fact that um, the OLED, the OLED uh, touch bar, um, I see in my mind, I see that expanding. So this kind of, you know, lends itself towards the idea of the iPhone uh, interface being an OLED screen, which then becomes your touchpad on your on your mac or or your trackpad right yeah so i mean trackpad, uh, yeah. trackpad yeah and i think windows continuum is the feature you're talking about on the on the windows side where you do something kind of similar but not docking into a physical shell like what's shown here in the patent turning the macbook into a dongle itself so i guess you don't <laughs> need the bag of dongles anymore if you had one giant dongle well you probably still need the bag of dongles too i'm sure <laughs> yeah but it's kind of kind of an interesting idea yeah the interesting thing or an interesting thing about this is that it would be running ios not mac os 10 right right unless it and that maybe they would have some kind of app that would be a mac os 10 emulation mode or something like that so it, it actually feels like you're actually running mac os 10 well i was also thinking that you know there's no reason why they couldn't have more ram available in that configuration remember the duo computers that they used to have where they had uh, extra hard drives in the actual casing that the duo slid into they could have more storage you could have more um uh, ram sure maybe a video video driver for the for the larger screen you know yeah battery yeah. right you're yeah. you're docked yeah, in battery, there yeah. using the the larger battery available in a physically larger size mm-hmm. the mind races yeah, interesting thing. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna predict this one as being uh, should it ever happen that the low low entry price will probably be four ninety nine <laughs> for the low end dongle. I think. Yeah, it, people patent a lot of things, you know, they, and, and most of them never see the light of day. So uh, you know, it, it, this doesn't necessarily mean that Apple's even at all considering this seriously. It just means that somebody had the idea, and it may be just that they decided that well, we better patent it before somebody else does. Well, that's what I was going to say, mm-hmm. preventative patenting, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Interesting stuff. Yep. So we were actually talking at work. Uh, some of our younger um, Swift coders were asking. It seems to it seems to be a habit to fall fall to guard as sort of the way to go uh, a lot in a lot of cases. And um, you know, I was arguing with them that you know you can. There's no reason why if you've only got a couple of cases that you need to test against, you could use an iflet to un- unwrap an optional, or just use a plain old if statement. Um, so Natasha the robot here posted a uh, piece, a sh- quick article on the differences between guard and and if and um, the idea she says about using um, uh, guard is that uh, if you have a condition where you want something to fail if if the condition is not met or not true 
or one or more conditions are not true, then guard is the way to go. But if it's something where it's a, uh, where the condition is actually optional, whether there's you know a value there or not, you can still continue to execute the the function. Then that's where she, where you would use an if statement. So just a quick little post here yeah. that in the show notes for people. Yeah, the key difference in my mind is that guard exits immediately, and so you're done with that with that function or method. Right. Yeah. And yeah. with if you might just want to be checking your condition. And yeah, and want to continue on. I'll, I'll often use a lit if let uh, if if I don't want to use a lot of the uh, explicitly unwrapped options, right. the exclamation mm-hmm. marks. Uh, I'll often do that just for a whole block of code to just make it look cleaner. Right, right. Yeah, I think the way I've tended to use guard is to check preconditions. Right, it's it's a little unusual for me to have guard statements much further down in the method body. Um, mm-hmm. they, they tend to be all yeah, up so front. Top, yeah. It's like, yep. okay, something got passed in. Uh, let's make sure it's, uh, you know, conforms to something or make sure it actually has a value because it might be an optional that we're passing in that, that tells you something about what's going on. Whereas if, uh, as shown here for like, especially when you're using the if let with shadow variables are, as, as mm-hmm. Mark talked about, nice with, you know, the way it lets you safely unwrap things or deal with cases that, you know, you want to have some sort of default or no behavior whatsoever. The nil coalescing operator is another good one to use in right. sort of like a mm-hmm. trio with these. Like I wouldn't use, even though you could hypothetically use guard as uh, a complete replacement for if, uh, I, I wouldn't because it. I think it's a little bit too much that's going on there. Some folks here in the comments on this blog post are, are talking about how they don't like guard because it forces you to have um, multiple exits out of a function, which... It's true, and, and it definitely depends on how you're setting things up where it might be ideal to have a single return value. But I've also more commonly, at least in my experience, seen really weird convoluted switches and flags that have to get set to ensure right. a single return statement at the bottom where it would have been easier just to be like, look, dude, if this optional thing isn't there, like, just don't even do this. And, and that, I find that easier to read. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's easier to read. I, I used to be I used to feel very strongly on the single return like you were describing. And I never liked uh, having you know multiple return statements one at the very beginning for for checks and things like that. So so at first blush, the guard statement looked like something I wouldn't want to use. But but I'm coming around to it. Uh, it's you know it, it does make sense in in some cases. It, it definitely makes the code more readable in many cases. And it does avoid these. Well, for sure, it avoids the uh, what do they call it? The pyramid of doom in the iflets. So right. So it's right. good for that. Yes, sir. Okay. So, friend of the show, Marin uh, Todorov, posted uh, something on Slack the other day he'd stumbled across. We were talking about, uh, I think we were talking about um, compiler times you know, with Swift. Um, and so, uh, this sort of uh, popped up, and it's, I believe it's from the Apple Swift org people. They posted a bunch of optimization tips for uh, Swift itself, and there's a number of them. There's uh, like 10 or so uh, things about, you know, using generics, you know, um, uh, reducing dynamic dispatch in your work. You know, working with containers, had protocols, unsafe code. Um, some quick little notes here from them. Um, some make sense to me, like using value types in array because it makes things so much easier for them if they know things are not changeable. If it's immutable, it, it certainly lets you optimize right. what you're checking for. So that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, little surprised uh, on the advice to mark protocols that are only satisfied by classes as class protocols. Mm-hmm. Um like, I mean, uh, at sort of first blush by reading the headline, I sort of get like, okay, well, sure. If nothing else, it avoids an if statement somewhere else or a guard statement or something, right? Um, but it's a little bit weird to me that underneath the um, underneath the covers, it has to 
prepare so much for, uh, as it says here, be prepared to retain or release non-trivial structures, which can be expensive. I'm a little surprised that there isn't some sort of optimization there that would make that uh, effectively negligible. I mean, for me in general, I, I would prefer to keep protocols sort of agnostic as to whether you're using a class or a struct or an enum, um, mm-hmm. unless I have a right, really, that's... really good reason why it has to be a class. Yeah, that's kind of one of the main ideas behind them, right? That they are agnostic. Protocols in general. Protocols, oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's one here that sort of hints to me at the compromises they had to make in the language in order to support um, Objective-C interoperability is advice. Use contiguous array with reference types when NS array bridging is unnecessary. So they must be doing some sort of optimization mm. when they know it's a the contiguous array Swift type versus... Uh, NS array, which is definitely a lot more loose and lets you do wild things to it. I sort of imagine this would be a longer, longer article, but well, I mean, it's not so much on the why too much. I mean, it gives a little bit on some of these. Um, it looks like it's more uh, as they talk about more like tips and tricks for doing this stuff, and, and a little bit of the why, but not like it took you deep into um, the structural reasons why Swift might be that way. Uh, I would guess that. This thing was probably be changed and updated as they do different optimizations and as the language evolves. So it might be a good one to bookmark and see if, you know, a year from now or heck, uh, when WWDC comes up, see if some of these things are still even true. Maybe there'll be new yeah. ones. Maybe some of these will be deprecated. So keep a watch yeah. on it. It's interesting. The one about use private and file private. Uh, so at some point, I guess the default became public, whereas it wasn't the case not too far in the past. I'm not exactly sure when that switched over. There was a time when private was the default, right? And you had to explicitly declare something as public if you wanted to use it outside of that uh, that script, that uh, file. But now it's it's apparently switched. Yeah, file private came into play in three uh, Swift three, I think. And Swift three. We, yeah, we were chatting about this uh, in Slack, and and some of the guys were joking about whether file private was kind of a an odd name, you know, like a, sort of a compromise name. And maybe it'll change again in the future. Mm. And good old, using. good old use final. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is perfectly valid. If if it's final, it's not changeable, so they don't have to do any sort of dynamic yeah. dispatch or lookups. It's like this one. Use right. this one right, right. here. True. Yep. True. Yeah. Yeah. This one. Cool stuff. Uh, yeah. Next up is you, Jaime, with the responding to reviews. Yeah. Well, is, um, is this happening now? Is it live? Yes, it is. So uh, what I've linked here for those of you driving at home is the uh, Apple's sort of nice little, it almost feels like a marketing page, but it's it's on the developer site for what this feature is. And and I think we talked about it before that during the betas for 10.3, we talked about the fact that we would be able to respond to reviews on the App Store. And guess what? Now we can because 10.3 is live. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's a little... It's a little bit squirreled away, I think. But if you go into iTunes Connect and you go into uh, My Apps, you go into whichever one of your particular apps you're interested in, you go over to the Activity tab, and then you go down the left on the uh, Ratings and Reviews side tab. So it's kind of non-obvious, but it sort of makes sense once you once you've been shown how to get there. And it, it's mm-hmm. pretty pretty easy. It's pretty much all your reviews with big old reply buttons next to them, and you get a text box and submit, and you're on your way. Telling people why um, you know why the feature that you don't have is not in there, or perhaps the feature they think you don't have is actually in there, and, and where it is. Right. 
This only applied to new reviews, or can you go back and reply to ones from two years ago? Good question. I sort of tried to scroll through, and it it seemed pretty extensive. Uh, I don't know for a fact if it's all reviews going back to the end of time, but it certainly didn't seem as if it was uh, most recent version or uh, limited to the last month or last year or something. It seemed like I was able to page through quite a bit. Hey, say again, say again where to find it? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> All right, so you guys are in iTunes Connect, right? Yes. Yeah. My okay, apps. so go into My Apps, pick one of your apps. Yep. Yeah. The Activity tab on the top bar all the way to the right. Oh, okay. Right. And then go oh, there it is. down yep. the left column on Ratings and Reviews. Ratings and Reviews. Yeah, it yeah. so it's, it's kind of a little bit hard to find the first time, but mm-hmm. I think now you'll be like, oh, logically it would be here. Yeah, so I can reply to a review that was written on August 12th of 2015. I've got one from two th- uh, December 15th, 2010 here. Okay, so yeah. there you go. Some yeah. proof that it must go pretty far back. It goes pretty far back. Yeah. Okay, I should try to find my oldest still surviving app, and let's see. Yeah, I've got one December tenth, December 1st, 2010 as well. Yeah, a little homework for the listeners. Go find the oldest review that you have <laughs> and respond and to, to it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's December 28th, 2010, but I'm pretty sure there were older ones than that for this app. So maybe not all of them are available. Now I think about Pi Account is probably my oldest app. Let's go look for that one. Worth pointing out here on this page that Apple has about responding to reviews on the App Store, they talk a little bit about um, communicating with customers, such as uh, you have to make sure your replies follow Apple's terms and conditions, so don't use profanity or try to post their personal information or spam them. Um, you can't like try to advertise or offer promo codes or in-app purchases and stuff, you know, or try to manipulate their, their review ratings. It's really more about trying to resolve their, their problem in some way. Well, it's, it's looking to me like, well, at least I don't see a way to look at all of your reviews. You can look at, there's a, uh, a, a pull down menu towards the right that has the traditional, you know, most recent, most helpful, most favorable, most critical uh, options for for sorting, but when I do that, I only get a limited amount of them. So when you say for limited sa- amount, do you mean it seems as if you only have a single page worth of yes. content? Yes. Okay. So what you're going to need to do is scroll all the way to the bottom and just yep. sort of wait. It's a little. It's a little. Pokey. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It took me. And there's like no scroll bar from what I saw. There's no scroll bar. Uh, maybe if I was. If it, maybe if I was like Tim and I, I forced the scroll bars are scroll bars on like maybe that would be helpful um right yeah but mm-hmm. i but i don't so i, I also felt I'm sad old. i was like oh that's lame i was like wait a minute but if i scroll away to the bottom and just wait oh there you go it's just a little slow mm-hmm. and i kept going no, and going until i got bored and I'm since there is no indicator i didn't know it's not anymore hmm. so i replied to that's one that was written six years ago and it says developer developer response pending so i guess apple must review our responses so it's I've seen a little bit of traffic on this. Um, I think there is probably some sort of automated checking, but as far as everybody can tell, there is no like app store review sort of thing for these. It seems to go through whatever normal process that if you were a customer and left a review, uh, you'll notice that it's not instantaneous re- review either, right? It goes through some sort of pending state and then gets published. It appears to be following the same mechanism. They're probably checking to make sure you don't have a, you know, an obvious scam thing like, oh, wow, I can't believe how much my mother-in-law makes by working from home. Click this link to activate now, you know. How much does she make? $8,000 a month. <laughs> Just working from home. Working Click from this home. link. Licking, Licking stamps? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, this is strange. Oh. I'm I'm having some 
weirdness here where I only see a limited set, no matter how long I wait. I mean, the other thing is it it's probably getting hammered right now, so who knows what sort yeah, of true. bottlenecks they're running through as everybody goes out and tries to test the system and see exactly what they can do with it. Yeah. Well, clearly you have too many reviews, Mark. I only have four, so I don't have to worry about scrolling. <laughs> yeah, some of the older apps have a lot of reviews. Okay, this is the one that I know has the most reviews. Let me see. Oh, you know what? It might have been just that one app that was doing it. That's interesting. I opened a different app, and now I'm seeing way more. Hmm. And you're right. When I get to the bottom, it pulls down more. Okay. Well, this is this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's generally the consensus. Yep. Okay. Next topic, Tim. Since uh, you're next, limited, we have uh, Mr. Mr. Lopez with the WWDC. So I guess the first question is, have you guys uh, made an attempt to buy a golden ticket yet? I did. And uh, Jaime? I elected not to. Um, I just don't think the timing is going to work quite well for me. So I think I'm going to be in my pajamas watching the live stream like many other folks around the world. Yeah, um, right. So hopefully, if you guys put yours in, hopefully you end up with the tickets because that'll be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, un- I think last episode we were sort of speculating as to how long would the um, lottery submission process be open because we said, well, obviously it's not going to be 20 minutes, but is it going to be at least to the end of the week? And guess what? It is to the end of the week. And by the time this episode um, goes uh, goes live and gets distributed. Uh, it will already be too late. So hopefully you've gotten <laughs> your hopefully you've gotten your ticket in there uh, and and may the odds be ever in your favor with that. Right now, I remember last year, wasn't it like right after the the window closed, people started getting their emails. Uh, it starts processing, but they have a a massive number of them. I yeah. remember when those went out. I think they they went out at like five p.m. or something, whatever year that was, and I didn't get mine till almost six p.m. When other people on Twitter were immediately getting theirs, and then they sort of trickled through the rest. That was of the, the one hour. where you won the ticket. No, yeah. that was the one where I got the rejection one. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I have to admit, I actually prefer watching the videos from home to actually going to the conference. Uh, but I figured this year, if it's you know, it's it's a couple of miles away from my house. I, I have to at least try to go this time. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Is, this is something in- interesting that, have you guys noticed that on Apple's developer site, it actually has a Beyond WWDC page that's showing other related conferences in the in the neighborhood indeed that's uh that's linked in the show notes yeah um, yeah it, it's it's kind of cool like they have done before the oh there's here's other things going on but mm-hmm. um it definitely hasn't been as upfront like where there's a whole tab right. there for it to get to and it's right next to the register button and it's alt conf yeah. and coco conf next door which just got announced uh layers of course is, is a is a yearly one now the Beard Bash with Jim Dalrymple, the talk show with John Gruber, and uh, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints. These are all um, the bigger events that Apple is is yeah. you know, not involved with necessarily. They're not like, but at least they're acknowledging it and yeah, and yeah. Uh, giving it some recognition, which is great. They even have a map of where they're all located, right around the neighborhood of the convention center. Right, right. Yeah, this looks really conveniently close for these. Just yep. looking at the map here, yep. um, I don't know how San Jose streets are laid out. Uh, San Francisco blocks are enormous compared to the blocks that I'm accustomed to. So it looks like oh, everything is yeah. on the same block. Uh, here. On this map, everything is extremely walkable. I mean, it's it's like a thirty second walk. Yeah. To to the to even the farthest one away, it's everything's really close. Yeah, actually, Alt Comp. So that that San Carlos Street, West San Carlos Street. Yep. That little curve there is where you and I stood and took our picture the other day, right? 
Yeah, it, it actually is. So the main entrance of yep. McHenry Convention Center, AltConf is going to be in the building right, just to the right of it, like right at the front door, and then uh, CocoConf on the other side, on the other side, like bookending it, right? Yep. Yeah, so they're all within stone's throw. It's good that those guys were able to scramble and, and uh, get themselves set up so quickly, because I'm sure they, like they probably did when the lottery first started, AltConf that is anyway. So CocoConf next door, do we know what that's about? As it says on the tin here, it is multi-track conference featuring trainers, authors, and developers from the Apple community going from Monday through Thursday. So it's uh, it's kind of like a regular CocoConf. I, I don't think I've seen on their schedule a, you know, they usually have the uh, the spring stuff, which is, is going on. I think Chicago is their next spring one. And then pretty soon we should start seeing the um, summer and fall sessions. And I haven't seen those come out, but usually San Jose is in there somewhere for the summer, uh, summertime. So I'm guessing Actually, this is taking the place. There's usually, I think, in November, isn't it? Oh, is it? Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's the Seattle yeah. and Portland ones that take place in the summer then that mm-hmm. I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some good speakers there. Uh, t- I mean, tentative speakers, Chris Adamson, Mike Ash, uh, Daniel Steinberg, Ellen Shapiro, friend of the show, friend of the show, James Dempsey, Matt and Reese, uh, Walter Tyree. I think I've seen him speak once. Jay McDonald, of course, and, and Mark Dalrymple, the guy behind uh, the advanced... Um... I actually met Walter Tyree at that 360i dev we went to a couple of years ago. He, right. and I, he and I shared a cab from the airport to the to the hotel. Randomly, nice. Just randomly. We happened to meet up Oh, and underscore David Smith is there as well. But, I mean, this is all TBA. If they get their, I'm sure if they get their uh, WWC ticket, all bets are off, right? Right. Well, it's right <laughs> next door. They can just walk out and give the That's talk true. and walk back in. It's true. Hence the next door name of the conference, right? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. right. <laughs> a light bulb just turned on above Tim's head. <laughs> Tim's head, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> huh. Yeah. The other thing I'll note here is that on their attending page, they've called out the fact that they have um, a code of conduct. So they're being really explicit about, like, hey, be good to people, right? Don't don't be a really? jerk is essentially what it boils down to. And it's done in a very tasteful way, right? That they're committed to diversity, whether that means I'm not even going to go through all of these, but it's like age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, race, ethnicity, religion, and so on and so forth, right? It's basically like, don't be a jerk oh. about it. Uh, just be good to people, right? Be be righteous to others or, um, oh my gosh, what did Bill and Ted have, right? Like Be, be awesome or something. I forget what the mm-hmm. catchphrase was. Uh, and in, in terms of uh, sort of putting their their money where their mouth is with regards to you know trying to have a more diverse and inclusive crowd they're having um child care services available uh, group child care services free of free of charge for children eight years old or younger so if, if that was a concern for you like oh well i really can't go because you know the kids are are what probably out of school at that point and there's nobody like there to watch them in the conference like well there will be and it doesn't cost you anything extra yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. I wonder if that implies that they're expecting a lot of local people to be attending, since it would seem like bringing your kids, you know, cross country to a conference like this would be a pretty exorbitant expense. So probably, I wouldn't think a lot of people would do it. But if you happen to be located nearby, then it might make a lot of sense to do that. Right. So uh, it does make me wonder if they're going to have the um, luggage check. Like they used to have back in you know, 2012 WWDC. Notably in 2015, they did not have the luggage check. So on the final day of the conference, I had to leave my stuff at the hotel 
front desk after checking out and then go to the conference and then go back to the hotel, pick up my stuff and then go on the airplane. Hmm. I think, uh, if they can take care of children, I'm sure they can shove my bag somewhere in a closet and let me claim it with the coat check sort of claim ticket. Yeah. Well, there are two hotels actually physically attached to the convention center. In fact, it's the hotels that are hosting CocoConf and, uh, and AllConf, I think. Uh, so it, it would be pretty easy to just walk into the hotel and check your bag with the concierge, and they would probably never even notice that you weren't actually staying at the hotel if that were an issue. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like a security problem. Hey, uh, how about you take take control of this bag you've never seen before? Yeah. If one of you guys yeah. come and have a bag, you can put it in the trunk of my car. I'll, I'll be parked in the parking lot underneath the convention center. Assuming I get a ticket. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it might be safer with a concierge, to be honest. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, true. Well, there's an idea there, Mark. You can make yourself like an informal That's right. sort of carpool service where you sort of like tell people what route you're going to take, and then you pick up everybody from their Airbnbs and drop them off right to the front door. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest with you, you also should flip the concierge a couple of bucks per bag. So, I mean, it's it's in their best. And they're going to look for it, look out for your bag anyway, whether you're work, staying at the hotel or not. Oh, so. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it's just sort of a courtesy thing they do. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I didn't realize about the. Uh, I forgot about the more stuff because we were, we were debating at work. You know how many people are going to uh, apply. The the fact that there's other conferences down there. You know, if last year we didn't get any tickets from our whole team, right? Really? Yeah. I think uh-huh. probably six or eight of us applied, and not one of us got picked. Um, but yeah, the fact that you know AltConf is there and CocoConf, that might uh, might be a, a reason for to send a couple of people down. To the neighborhood. <laughs> have to make that pitch. All right. So I guess we're we're at the end here. We're at the Picorama stage, right? I think so. Ready for some picks? Mm-hmm. All right, Jaime, what do you got for us? I have a pick here that's, that's really more of a tip. It's a blog post on Mocha Coding by um, Giovanni Lodi, who comes out of uh, Melbourne, Australia. And it's... Uh, an older article, to be honest, um, it dates back to April of 2015, but it's still just as timely. Uh, at least it was for me this past week, and it's about Xcode keyboard shortcuts for testing. So right, yeah. uh, the three main ones you're going to want to know is uh, Command U to run uh, all of your tests in your test suite. Um, that's sort of you know that's okay, but if you have quite a few tests, this can take quite a long time. And depending on what you're changing, might be completely unnecessary, uh, you know, if you're changing a very small part of the system. Uh, the ones that I like are uh, Control-Option-Command-U, which will run the current test method that your cursor is in. So in my case, I was writing um, some unit tests, and I wanted to just sort of repeatedly check, you know, am, am I doing this stuff correctly? Is it doing what I expect? Fixed a few bugs and run it again sort of thing. Um, Sort of hand-in-hand hand with that is the command to rerun the previous set of tests. Uh, that's Control-Option-Command-G. And this one's kind of cool because it's smart. So in the case where I was writing a single test, um, doing the uh, rerun previous set of tests would run just that same exact test. But there was oh, right, a okay. spot where I said, okay, well, now I want to run this uh, this suite because I'm not just testing this one method anymore. I want to make sure the other methods are um, you know, still working together in concert. So I ran uh, the entire test case for that uh, particular file, and I was able to rerun it using 
the rerun previous set of tests command, which was handy because I didn't have to like go click the button and I could be in the actual implementation code for what I was like, oh, okay, I figured out where this bug is that I made a mistake, misunderstood something. I could just run it all then and just sort of wait for Xcode to tell me, you know, pass or fail rather than have to navigate back, click the little button that's on the side of, um, you know, your code editor and go with it. So I think this will save you a lot of time if you're writing unit tests. It certainly did for me. And I knew this was like my week to write unit tests. So I did a quick, uh, Google search for this. Uh, but if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have to, because I just told you what those things were. So, uh, bookmark this one. If you haven't like really gotten into your head as to like the, the body memory as to what's going to go on with this. Uh, otherwise you can just have it there and save yourself the trouble. Cool. I've just, I've just been clicking the little, uh, to run button beside the test when I want to run a single test. Good to know there's a keyboard command for it. And I like the, the run the previous one. That's uh, going to be handy, like you said. Mm-hmm. All right. So I do have a pick this week. So I spoke to the folks over at Tunnel Bear, I think when I was in my job search days a couple of, like last year, uh, 2015, um, which isn't last year, the year before. Um, stop yelling at your phone. Um, <laughs> but t- so what Tunnel Bear is, a, it's a group from Toronto who have built a VPN product. And we talked about security a couple of weeks ago where um, I think and it came out of that podcast I was listening to, the Mac Pro podcast. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was Mac Pro's something like that. Yeah. Mac Pro's podcast. Yeah. They had a whole show on security on their tinfoil hat episode. Um, and one of the things they suggested was um, running VPN software on your computer because the even if you use a private browser in um uh, chrome or firefox or i don't know i think safari does safari have a private browsing i don't know anyway the, the point is that even though you're doing private browsing your isp can still sort of see what you're doing where you're going what requests you're making uh, but if you tunnel from um your machine to a, lo- a location like in the case of uh tunnel bear uh, it's an app you install on your on your uh, mac or you can run it on ios but I can choose to tunnel to somewhere in the middle of Quebec, you know, or I can choose to tunnel to somewhere in the United States. You know, there are ethical reasons for doing that and unethical reasons for doing that. But the idea being that you can't, like, that's another way of masking what traffic you're actually, or where you're actually going with with your internet searches and stuff like that. So, and I think didn't the U.S. government allow the ISPs to sell our information the other day? Didn't that just go through? Yep, that's a recent thing. Yeah, so if you're um if you can't afford, you know, Tammy Coron's fine uh high intensity tinfoil and you're looking for a much easier solution, um I can recommend Tunnel Bear. I've been playing with it for the last week or so. Pricing is actually pretty good. I mean, you can get 500 gigabytes, fi- sorry, 500 megabytes of data, free data per month if you want to give it a test drive. Um but just to give you an example, I ran through 500 megabytes on Sunday afternoon. Mm. Um or you can go by month uh, at ten dollars, and I don't. Yes, these are U.S. dollars, so nine ninety nine. Um, you can get uh, per month, or if you want to pay for the whole year, you get fifty eight percent off, and you can get it for four dollars and seventeen cents. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you're at all uh, conscious or, or concerned about what uh, is you're being watched for, um, try that out. The other thing too about the I think the account is you can use it on five machines, so. You know, I've got three computers here and a couple, an iPad, and an iPhone that I would want to run it on. So, um, pretty good deal for less than five dollars a month. Yeah, and it looks like they have multiple platform support. I see here, iPhone, 
Android, Mac, Windows, different browsers, um, yep. different payment methods here, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Bitcoin, and jars of honey, apparently, uh, because their <laughs> mascot is a bear. Um, what is the performance like, Tim? Uh, you know, I didn't really notice any difference in, in uh, obviously you running VPN does slow down your network connection a bit. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I was just doing, you know, my Sunday afternoon browsing and working on a few websites and, you know, FTPing some things around and downloading some files and, you know, just the usual sort of stuff I do on a Sunday afternoon, which is not a high intensity work day. Um, but I didn't, I didn't find it was disruptive at all and uh the other nice thing about it is is there it puts a menu bar icon at the top of your your window in your mac so you know i can just click on it right now and i can see that it's disconnected and i've got another 540 megabytes remaining this month oh by the way if you tweet out about them they will give you uh 900 megabytes for free uh, so if you want to share the share the love um, yeah, and just I just pick a honeypot or a tunnel uh, location, like I said, in the middle of Quebec, and I flip it on, and then uh, and then I'm up and running. So it's off right now, but other, otherwise, uh, I have, like I said, I hadn't noticed any any degradation in performance. I hadn't done a speed test with it on, for instance, though. That would be interesting, but I think given what you were saying, that um, you couldn't notice it, you know, when you're doing sort of casual browsing. I think it's a good sign because I remember. Uh, and to be fair, this is probably 10 years ago, um, using a corporate VPN that you could tell that it reduced your speed by about 50%. So right. I'm glad to see that that has gotten much better, um, you know, over time. Well, that could also be the performance of our current, you know, network infrastructures and in that we're getting much faster DSL and cable, and then we're using LTE on our phones, right? So Sure. So so even if it stayed, so I, if I get your point here, I think it's even if, you know, it stayed that same constant amount, um, just the fact that the pipe got bigger means it's sort of, it's faster, you know, yeah. almost negligible unless you have, you know, really high performance needs, right? If you're yeah. uh, trying to download all the movies on BitTorrent, you might want to wait a little longer. <laughs> Not that I would recommend you do right. that for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Don't do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, like, I can tell you, like, when I'm on my phone and I'm navigating around the building uh, downtown, there are certain parts of the, f- of the floor where I'll drop down to a 3G, or if I'm in the elevator or whatever, it dropped to 3G. Um, you really notice a difference in speed that in that case. So that's that's an indication of the difference between 3G and LTE. But I think, you know, it's not like that kind of degradation. Like, I, you, I mean, I didn't even know it was on other than, you know, the icon right now is in black and white. But when it's running, it's it's all gold and yellow, like honey, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the interesting test is if you can share someone's desktop with them and see it rendering flawlessly mm-hmm. in real time. Oh, like like using Zoom or Screen Hero or something, and see right, right, see how that works. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, well, I think the other simple test too would be to run a speed test benchmark. You know, um, do one without without having it on, and then turn it on, and then seeing if there's a big difference. in uh, although speed t- benchmarking isn't all that reliable either, because your your network connection is up and down depending on what type you have and how often, how many other people are using it. Right, so. Like, I yeah. find that even though I'm paying for X performance up and down, I don't get that. I get, like, some minor amount less than that, right? So, and if you're on cable, you're going to get, depending on depending on who's on at that time of day, like, in the evening, I would think it's probably, uh, probably slows down quite a bit because people are, are cruising and Netflixing and Huluing and whatever, right? Yeah. I'd be curious to see how 
live streaming or live broadcasting, I should say, works for something like Facebook Live or Instagram yeah. Live, Periscope. Uh, yeah. See how how that works. See if it's you know still acceptable performance for that sort of situation. Right. Well, there's also the other the other side of it too. Is like you know I got this smart TV for Christmas, which means I can watch Netflix right on run the app right on the on the television. But that means it's running some sort of OS, and it means and I think there was some question about whether. Uh, I think the early smart TVs, whether or not they were as secure as they should be, and you know, could people be like, you know, agencies or whatever, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Could be watching what you're doing, right? So, on your television. Yeah, I think that was mostly through the through the audio. You know, when you were <laughs> right when you have a TV that has a voice voice activated voice commands. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah their yeah. Samsung in particular is is potentially always listening in to hear what you're. Mm. What command you're right. saying? So, what's to keep them from recording everything that you're saying? Right. Well, Siri does the same thing, though, doesn't she? And probably Alexa as well, to some extent. But both, uh, actually, I'm a little unclear as how Siri's work. I assume it works on the same buffer mechanism that both the Google Home and the Amazon Echo use. A very small buffer that is constantly overriding itself, and it's really just listening to ambient noise, waiting for the wake word. To oh, appear. Right, yeah. And then it starts re- the recording that's going to be sent to you know, Amazon's or Google servers. I assume Siri works pretty similar to that um, because it's it's against Apple's sort of uh, corporate ethos to like continuously record and send it up to their servers. Right. Like, that's just not what right, they do. Right. They, they care about privacy. So I don't know the answer to the question, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't very similar. I mean, that's my pick. Tunnel Bear. Cool. It looks Pretty cool. And uh, I got to say, I really love the site. It certainly <laughs> sells you on the idea. It's very, very pleasant um, illustrations here. Uh, I feel like I could show this to a five-year-old and they would kind of get the idea of what's going on. Well, I think that the grizzly knocking down the F-16s with its laser eyeballs, lasers shooting at its eyes is kind of cool. But you're right, it is It is pretty passive. And I like the sort of um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears kind of analogy there. You know, the little giant and the grizzly. So. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, man, Th- that really is an F-16, isn't it? Well, let's see how Lockheed Martin feels about that one, <laughs> if they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, CF Martin, is that who makes them? Oh, wait, no. Maybe it's Northrop Grum- uh, Grumman that owns that. No, CF Martin is the guitar mm-hmm. company. He, he's talking about Lockheed Martin, I think, right? You know, too much yep. about planes. Oh, look at that. General Dynamics F-16 Fighting Falcon. <laughs> wow. How did they not get absorbed by somebody? I don't know, but we'll put a link in the show notes for those of you who want to know what time he's talking about. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. There you go. Real-time follow-up. I was correct. Originally developed by General Dynamics, but uh, now Lockheed Martin. Nice. So I guess that's it for the week. So, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at DevWithTheHair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com or at Smapsoft. And as I said at the top of the show, I'm Tim Mitra and T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's about it. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. 
It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Guys, still there? All right. Wait, hold on, Sam. Did did Mark dropped off the call? Uh, yeah, it looks like. Oh, it. I see. I heard the the dropping off, which I thought was me, but I see you mm-hmm. and Carol. I heard a ping some from somewhere. Uh, was that you? Oh, he's pinging. Somebody's pinging. Can you hear me? Chat here. Can you hear me? Maybe he turned on Tunnel Bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> it's like, oh, let me try it out. Boom! There goes Skype. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Oh, oh, you back? You shouldn't have oh, read there, there there because now I have an incoming one. <laughs> okay. As long as we can hear, hear you long enough to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Mark, what, what ended up happening there? Uh, so, so I installed Tunnel Bear just to try it out. Uh, we knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I connected, I lost... Uh, I lost you guys. Yeah, Although Skype I was, was still unhappy. Skype thought I was still connected, but I just couldn't hear you guys. It was very strange. Yeah. Well, you you get a different IP address and a different connection to the outside world, right? Oh yeah, I guess so. When you use VPN, so. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, yeah, live, live off. Yeah, live follow up to that. You know, Tunnel Bear segment is uh, pro tip if you are currently in a Skype call. Don't use Tunnel Bear until oh, after that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You've right. gotten off the call uh, or, or reconnect or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if you are talking to potential subversives up in Canada or somewhere. That's in true. Some that's country. true. <laughs> well, I might be in the middle of Quebec. You don't know. You don't know. Mm, true. So. Oh, so apparently we have to be at the airport two hours before our flight now. What time is your flight? Uh, 7.30. So 7.30, so 5.30 in the morning. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so we have to get a, and we have this. So we now have this train that goes from Union Station downtown to Pearson. It takes twenty five minutes, but the first train is at five thirty. So yeah, I wonder so why they last. Yeah, so you have to take an Uber or a cab or something. Huh? Yeah, so I got I, I booked a cab for the morning. Yeah, I don't do yeah. Uber. I gave up on Uber. Hmm. I, I I deleted Uber before it was cool to delete Uber. What about Lyft? Yeah, Lyft Lyft is there? The I don't know if we have Lyft in Toronto. I'm not sure. We may have. Hmm. Most most people, uh, Uber is like aspirin, you know, like that's the one people just sort of say, right? So Right, right. Aspirin yeah. or Kleenex or Elastic. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and when we, when I used Uber here, I always used it, I used to use the cabs because they're already on the road. They're already, you know, burning up the carbon and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they don't, they're not getting rides from the dispatchers. So I used them. I never used UberX at all. So unless I was in the States, right? So, yeah, just, I got I one, one time too many, um, weird uh pricing you know the the what do you call the pricing where it goes up in price right so oh, surge pricing yeah yeah man. whereas with cabs it's the same price no matter what right so like i don't i don't understand what the whole you know like you get you offer discounted service and then you have to turn around and rip off people at the same time and notwithstanding all the stuff that's been happening with them in the last little while too right so so it looks like toronto is not on the availability for Lyft. And as far as I can tell, I just oh, really? quickly whipping through, I think it's all American cities. Mm-hmm. Weird. And as far as, you know, cost goes, uh, while it's nice 
when Ubers or Lyfts are less expensive. I don't generally look at it that way. I look at it as being paying for the experience, which hands down is better every single time I've taken Uber or Lyft than it is on any of the best cabs I've ever been in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even the worst Uber is better than the the best cab. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I've I've had cabs where it felt like, you know, the, the car was falling apart as I'm driving. In fact, in fact, in one case, the guy had to pull over on the side of the freeway because something was rattling and about to fall off the side of his cab. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And I'm like, uh, you know what? Just drop me off. I'll, I'll take a new. I'll take a different cab. He's like, oh no, no, it'll be fine. I'll just take Surface Street. So he's going down Surface Street to ten miles an hour to get mm-hmm. to get. It was just, it was just crazy. It was just crazy. Do you like my groovy graphics for uh, the last episode? Yeah, I noticed that with my retro screen, retro green screen. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and I, I like the fact that it's low res too. Like you can see <laughs> the, the subtle blur of the CRT, yeah. but it's not uh, valid basic code though. Isn't it? Oh, you'd have to put a. If you said print home, print suite, that would be fine. Oh no! Well, I thought it was go to ten. Go Take to ten goes there. to ten, but then but home isn't a valid command, and suite's not a valid command. Artistic interpretation on that one, right? Right. It's okay because nobody can find a basic interpreter anyway to run it in anymore. So it's. So I have one. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I have an Apple II. Yeah. Does it still work? Yeah. Oh. Okay. I think the floppy drive's broken on it, but yeah. So at least it does basic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was load. I, I watched that video again. It was load uh, in quotations asterisk comma eight, which most people didn't know what that meant. The guy says in the video. So I think uh, asterisk means all, right? It's a wildcard in Unix. It does. Oh, what does it mean in Basic? Don't know. So load, load, and this is com- on the Commodore. You used to load games by typing load, and then in quotations you would put asterisk comma eight. Okay. No idea. No idea what that is. I don't know what that means. So that's a specific Commodore flavor of basic? Don't know. Let's see. I just Googled that. Let's see what it says. Meaning of parameters in classic load. Uh, star 8. Commodore command. So it's load, quote, file name, comma, device number, comma, secondary <clears throat> number. So the file name star means the first file on the disk. Right. The first number parameter is a device number. 8 is the device number of the first disk drive. On the Commodore, in Commodore DOS. Oh, okay. So load the first file off the first disk drive on the Commodore PET. Which I guess was probably the the executable that would run the load rest of the resources, right? The game or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because I remember the kids used to have all these cracked games, right? They used to have, like, yeah. they'd get these, you know, plain floppies, and they would type in that command, and, and it would load up the game that they had, right? So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.